Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by Jaguar Land Rover Laval because you're probably going to move up north at some point anyway. So you might as well drive a Land Rover and fit in. No, that's bewitched. That's not going to work. That's already done. Yeah. By the way, did we do too much of that? Are we going to get charged for that? <laughs> no, I think it's 15 seconds. Oh, is that yeah, right? Is I it 15 seconds, Poseidon? You, you don't know? You okay. could use 15 seconds right. of, of licensed music yeah. without having to or pay a royalty we, or something. Or maybe we could use the music from uh, that amazing little mini film that Phil did for us. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Wait till you see that. Well, maybe you've seen it already. Well, you've seen it already because yeah. this is episode two that's of true standing by the terry and ted podcast yeah how about that i must admit during episode one i had a bit of a schwitz because mm-hmm. i was a little nervous i i think that's healthy i didn't smell anything okay <laughs> oh a schwitz <laughs> like a sweat yeah I was uh, I was a little nervous and unsure of myself perhaps because I haven't been in front of a microphone since the 28th of May yeah or maybe you have mental problems that need to be addressed that could be yeah. that could be could look Let's into talk. that yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in the uh, episode, uh, the first episode, we, we talked about the beginning. I know yes. we did say the uh, it's the story of Terry and Ted. In the beginning, God created the Terry and that's, the Ted. That's exactly And right. it was good. Remember when that used, <laughs> well, sometimes. that used to be great for male? Remember? What's that? Well, if you made any kind of reference to religion, the male would not pour in, yeah. but we would get, what What did we call them? How can you possibly? How can you possibly? Yeah. Right. yeah. We should explain that. Well, Terry and I worked back in the day before social media, uh, when if you offended someone, they actually had to put pen to paper, write their letter of complaint, go down to the post office, get an envelope and a stamp, put it in the mailbox, and then sit, pardon me, sit there and wait and hope that you received their letter and that they would hear back from you. And we called them How Can You Possibly because they always started off with, How can you possibly yeah. say that the yeah. blah, 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 I was listening on Wednesday yeah. morning at around 8.30, and you yeah. said that you made a joke about our Savior and God, yeah. and how could you possibly make fun of, <laughs> of the Lord? And then fax machines came along. Oh, yeah. So so wow. then, then the complaints became more instantaneous. right. right. Uh, but but they still had to. It still involved something more than just you know pulling your phone out and going "fuck you guys, you <laughs> suck." I'm gonna get you canceled. Ah, the webnet. Oh boy, yeah. the interwebs. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit uh, on this episode, Ted, about some of the because I get asked about this all the time. Is about some of the interactions we had with, um, not just music stars, but. I would like to talk about some of the the great, great experiences we had with the Habs, the Montreal Canadiens. Did we have great experiences with the Habs? All right, I'll tell the stories. Okay. (laughs) You tell the stories and I'll try to remember them. How does that sound? I would like to start with... um, Get up close to your microphone there. Poseidon's going to come over here and whack you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would like to start with um, uh, Jean Beliveau. Oh, yeah. Jean Beliveau... I, I, I just I don't I can't say enough things about John Beliveau. I remember, um, not too long after, I was in Winnipeg for I was in Manitoba to get my start uh, in broadcasting, and I came back to Montreal in 1984. And I think 
probably in the spring of 85, had only been here a couple of months, and I was standing um, near the uh, Terminus uh, in Atwater. <laughs> The, uh, the Atwater Terminus across the street from the Forum, when the Forum was still the Forum, and the escalators were still lit at night. And out of the side door on Lambert Kloss emerged Jean Beliveau, dressed to the nines in a beautiful suit and carrying a briefcase. And he had, he had that man had such an elegance about him. That's the perfect word to describe him. That... His walk, his gait was even elegant. Yeah. And I was momentarily dumbfounded. You know, I was, you know, I'd, I'd grown up, you know, caught the tail end of his career, and I was watching him emerge from the, you know, the legendary Montreal Forum, the legendary Jean Beliveau emerges from, the, from that building. And, and I watched him walk down St. Catherine Street, and I thought to myself, I'm never going to have another Montreal moment like this. And not too long afterwards, we um, were trying to put together a radiothon uh, for the Missing Children's Network at a time when it's not like we invented the radiothon, but Rob Braid, who was our boss at the time, said, why don't we do a telethon on the radio? Because there was telethons, Jerry Lewis, and the one they did on CFCF-TV for the Kids Network. And we wanted to raise money for the, the Missing Children's Network for Susan Armstrong and Marcel, her partner, who had founded this organization, and they were working out of the back of a car. They actually, their office was a, a car, mm -hmm. and they were working out of the trunk of the car. And we were trying to raise money for them, and nobody knew what a radiothon was. Nobody would help us. Nobody... Everybody we called, all the, the artists that we called, we want you to come and appear. We're going to be broadcasting from 9 to 6 at Plasmon Adventure. Nobody would help us. What was their problem? Well, nobody knew what we were doing. Okay. They didn't, you know, well, you're going to be on the radio, but you're going to be broadcasting. And nobody's going to see anything. What, you know. All right. Well, uh, never mind that I even asked that question because I, I sense where this is going. Yeah. So keep going. And someone made a phone call and... Um, got a hold of Monsieur Beliveau, and uh, as soon as he heard that it was for children and missing children, he said, I'll be there. Of course I'll be there. When do you need me? And as soon as he agreed that to come, and he promised that he would come for about a half an hour and that um, we, could, we could mention he was coming, and of course that created such a crowd of people who all wanted... Uh, to either have their picture taken with him or meet him or get him to sign autographs. And if you've ever seen Jean Beliveau's autograph, even his signature is elegant. Is elegant. Yeah. It has his display of elegance. And I remember him sitting next to me for the interview to talk about his daughters and, and how he was glad to support this new organization. And he... Kindness came off his body. You, when you sat next to him or you were near him, you had this interaction with him. You, you felt the, the decency and the kindness uh, that, he wa that was you know, so much his character. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm sitting next to Jean Beliveau while he's answering my question. 
and 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 you know I lose my place because you have to, you know, it's nice to have those moments, but you have to stay focused in in that moment when you realize who you're talking to and who's sitting next to you. And I will never forget that. And I I had some more interactions with him, you know, not not dissimilar. You know, met him at a golf tournament and. You know, he was kind to my father. And I remember thinking to myself how lucky we were that the, the, these opportunities were presented to us because of where we worked. Yep. And I don't know if you were with me when we convinced Corey Hart. Were you part of the program then? No, it might have been before my time. Yeah. Court, we convinced. I, I spent a lot of time making fun of Corey Hart because he never went out in Montreal at the height of his fame, and Corey was very, very. He's a Corey's a wonderful guy. He's a very decent guy, and has a great sense of humor. As a matter of fact, he'd be a fun guest. Maybe we can have him on one time. And I used to make fun of him hiding from you know because everywhere he were, went at the beginning of his career, he created a stir. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fans would chase well back him in the eighties, yeah, chase yeah. him down the street and stuff. And, um, but we convinced him, uh, to come to the Montreal forum. Somehow the Montreal forum allowed us to broadcast from the lobby of the forum while the Canadians were on the road and Corey Hart agreed to come, I think because we were broadcasting at the forum and at that broadcast, Larry Robinson emerged from the, the bowels of the forum. He was there getting um, therapy because he was injured and didn't travel with the team. And Larry Robinson, whom I watched when I was a kid every Saturday night, leaned over and said to me, would you like to see the dressing room? No, and- I'm good, thanks. <laughs> Beat it, old timer. And if you're a... If you're a Habs fan, if you live in Montreal, even if you live in Chicago. Well, it doesn't matter where you live. If you're a hockey fan and someone offers you a tour, a Montreal Canadian offers you a tour of the dressing room. Of the dressing room in the Montreal Forum. Those kinds of things, I think, were back in an era where the the players were were, uh, less afraid of media, and Mm. understandably so because of today's... Uh, today's climate and social media. Um, But that also led us to, um, uh, uh, we were able to get like Guy Carboneau on the phone and Ludwig on the phone. And it it was an era that just seemed to be a lot easier to interact with people from, you know, who were boyhood idols. Just so you know, because you're not wearing headphones. Yeah. You're, we're getting a lot of the there's a lot of ambient noise. Very good. Yeah. Also, if you were familiar with the beginning of my career, yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> the rustling of the papers. Yeah. Yeah. Were you not wearing headphones, so you didn't hear the rustling well, of the papers? I don't remember. I don't remember. It just it yeah. never bothered me. But it, it yeah. was back when it was a. Anyway, I just I I just wanted to point. You know, I don't. I'm not. It's not yes. a criticism. I'm just saying. I'm. You're, so. Um. I tell those stories because of how lucky we were, and I would like you to uh, tell a couple of your stories because the other day, um, my wife and I were talking, and I extended my pinky finger (laughs) to her, and she said, what the fuck are you doing? And I I, I was holding my pinky out, and she said, "What, what is that? What are you doing? And I said, "Well, it's a it's a story I got to get Ted Bird to call and uh, tell. And since we're telling 
uh, sports stories. Yeah. We've opened. I've opened the doors. Okay, I've got that one, and and I've also okay. I'll also tell the Yvonne Cornway golfing story, okay. which is a good one too. Alrighty. So the story with the pinky finger. Yes. Uh, 1980s. I'm covering the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm living in Toronto, working as a sports reporter at CFTR Radio, and I'm covering Blue Jays games. And I'm down in the clubhouse after the game one day, and uh, uh, Cliff Johnson, who was uh, he was a big, big man, Cliff Johnson. He was a designated hitter for the Blue Jays, and he's standing by his locker, and he's holding a beer. And Marty York from the Globe and Mail, who, uh, who to this day I still uh, I interact with Marty on uh, Twitter quite a bit, good guy. And uh, Marty York walks over to Cliff Johnson, and he goes, uh, he sticks out his hand. He goes, Cliff, Marty York, Globe and Mail. And Cliff Johnson, holding his beer, goes, extends his pinky finger with the hand that's holding the beer. And Marty, not sure what to do, takes the pinky finger and shakes it. (laughs) Nice to meet you. (laughs) That's a pretty good pinky shake you got there. You just had, uh, didn't you just have a, uh, didn't you just get blocked by Rod Carew? Yeah. Speaking of baseball My first Hall of Fame block on Twitter, yeah. Yes, tell that story. Well, same era, early 80s. I'm covering the Blue Jays, the California Angels. Angels are in town. It's just before the All-Star break, and Rod Carew has been named to the All-Star team, the American League All-Star team. And I'm down in the Angels clubhouse, and I'm looking. This is pregame. Who can I interview? Oh, look, there's Rod Carew. I'll interview him about getting named to the All-Star team. So I walk over, and I stick out my hand. I ask, Hi, Rod. Ted Bird, CFTR Radio. And he's fiddling around in his locker and putting stuff away and is taking stuff out. No, he's like, his side is okay. to me. It's from okay. the side. Yeah, gotcha. And... He doesn't even look at me. Right. He doesn't even look at me. Right. And there's this sort of uncomfortable pause, and I don't remember if he if he said, "Well, what do you want?" or or anyway, I said to him, um, "I would, you know, I was just wondering if I could interview you about getting named to the All Star team." No. Okay. Well, thanks. Good to good to, good chat. Good to see you. And fuck you, pal. And. You didn't say that. No, no. But fast forward, that would have been like 1983, probably, maybe 84. So fast forward, uh, however many years it is since then. And he's here. I see him on Twitter a few months ago, a video on Twitter. Hi, everybody. I'm on Twitter now, and I was hoping maybe you could follow me. You know, and he's like 70 years old or whatever he is now. And so uh, I responded, and and I told exactly that story. I said, I met you in the Angels Clubhouse in 1983. Uh, I was a, a radio reporter, and I asked you to. Uh, I extended my hand and asked you if I could do an interview with you and introduce myself, and you ignored both gestures. So I'll pass. Thanks very much on following you on Twitter. And then for whatever reason, his name came across my Twitter uh, timeline again more recently, and he had blocked me. There okay. you go. Okay, I've been blocked That's- by a baseball Hall of Famer. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, well, I'm thinking yeah. maybe I can put together an all. I can get blocked by an all-star team of <laughs> Hall of Famers. I've got to start on my infield. We'll, we'll see who's next. This is something that you and I have talked about before, and something that I don't, uh, I still don't understand. Most sports reporters will tell you that baseball uh, players are the most difficult uh, people to interact with. 
I would by say, and large, in my experience, and again, I, you know, I haven't gone into a clubhouse to do interviews right. in, in 35 years, so I don't know how much it's changed. But back in the day, yes. But I don't want to paint them all with the same brush. No, it's because there were a lot. There were a lot of really nice guys, yeah. and some of the big biggest stars were yeah. the nicest guys. Tony Gwynn, God yeah. rest his soul, was a hell of a nice guy. Yeah. Ozzy Smith was a nice guy. Yeah, I, 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 there's, I've got a picture of me um, that I've posted on social media before. I'm in the Expos dugout um, with uh, Tim Wallach and Tim Raines, and I'm, uh, I, I wish we were shooting something for a kids' show I was doing at the time called Switchback, and the, you know, if you look back on it today, Tim Wallach and Tim Raines. I mean, that's quite a picture. Yep. But I'm wearing gray sweatpants and white socks and loafers. That was your <laughs> uniform in the 1980s. <laughs> Which is really, really unfortunate. But did you have the same kind of vibe that I did? I, And I still really haven't lost it. When when Larry Robinson, when I, when I first started to meet people, you know, like Larry Robinson and Jean Bellevue, I, I I turned into, like, you know, I tried to be professional, but inside my body, I was 11 years old. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I understand. Uh, I get I get that, but at the same time, I always tried to, and I, and I got to this place pretty quickly because I think as a sports reporter, uh, you know, like with your Wallach and Tim Raines thing, that was a prearranged thing where yeah. you were doing something different. I was a, I was a pain-in-the-ass reporter. Right. And, you know, a lot of those guys didn't like dealing with the media. Did, so did so very quickly I learned that, you know what, they're just human beings right. and they're big stars and stuff. One so, of my one of my favorite experiences, uh, when I first came to Montreal, I was interviewing Larry Robinson after practice one day. And uh, after I was done the interview, he said to me, um, what time do you get up in the morning? I was like, what? <laughs> and I said, uh, around 3.30 or so. He said, yeah, I figured you must start early because I listen to you when I'm in the barn feeding the horses in the morning. And I just about shit gumdrops. Yep. And I ran straight home and phoned my father and yep. said, Larry Robinson <laughs> listens to me. <laughs> just like that. Yeah, yeah, that was so exciting to me. He's the nicest man. Oh, my God. He's yeah. such a nice man, Larry yeah. Robinson. He, he tweeted about me one time, and I had it printed and framed. Let me tell the Yvonne Carnway story, because yeah, yeah. this is yes, a classic. Yeah. Uh, early 90s at Shome, we had... Uh, an auction, a fundraising auction for, I don't know what the charity was for, but it was uh, it was to raise money for a charity. Uh, you could bid on an opportunity to go golfing with uh, Ted Bird from Shome, yeah, big deal, uh, a Bell Canada representative, and Yvonne Cornway, Montreal Canadiens Hall of Famer and 10-time Stanley Cup champion. So ultimately, a guy named Mark Mintzberg uh, had the winning bid. And so... I went out, and I'm not a golfer. I think it was the first, it was actually the first time I had ever literally gone out on a golf course and golfed. Oh I God. used to I used to go to the driving range, and I guess because I wasn't a half-bad baseball player, I could hit a golf ball pretty good. Like I could, I could, you know, and, and the way I looked at it in the driving range is if, if, I, if, I, uh, if I hooked it, that's a double down the line. You know, right, right. if I hit it, hooked it, but hit it far, that's a double down the line. Right. Yeah. If I sliced it and hit it far, that's an opposite field home run. Right. So I could hit the ball pretty good. I just couldn't necessarily hit it straight. Anyway, uh, we get out on, uh, we're golfing and, and I meet Yvonne Cornway and he's a very nice man. 
and we get out on, I think it was on the first tee, I hit a really good drive right straight down the middle of the fairway, like pure shithouse luck. Yeah. And I said, uh, hey, I said, that's not bad. Maybe uh, maybe I'll buy some gloves. Uh, sorry. Maybe I'll buy some clubs and take up this game. And everyone kind of chuckled. And, uh, and then, like, you know, next hole, I hit, you know, I hit one off into the woods or I just like a completely terrible shot. And Yvonne Cormier goes, hey, Ted, are you sure you want to buy those club? Ha, ha, ha. And I laughed. Ha, ha, ha. And so we get going along. And I think we're on the back nine by this time. And Mark Mintzberg is playing the round of his life and he's beating Yvonne Cormier. And Yvonne's not happy because he's a competitor. You don't yep. win Stan- right. 10 Stanley Cups yep. uh, without, without being a competitor. So at one point, he shanks his drive and I laughed and said, hey, Yvonne, maybe I'll buy your clubs. And he turned right around and he goes, you want to play right now? <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I said, uh, I said yeah. Yvonne, it's just, yeah. it's just a joke. And he goes, I don't take it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in, in 30 years since, we, we still yes. use that all the it's, time, it, us and the guys yeah. in our circles. It's, I don't it, take it. It's become part of our parlance. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and we should, uh, I've want to i want to make this abundantly clear one of the nicest men you'll ever want oh absolutely meet. And, and very he very quickly came around yes. he you know he yeah. realized that he had you know his anger had gotten the best yeah. of him and he very yeah. he very quickly uh uh smoothed the waters yeah. him and his wife evelyn uh are at so many different charity things he still represents that sweater very very well has done so for years in the community. He's a wonderful, wonderful man, nice man. But as you point out, you don't get 10 rings no. uh, without having a competitive no. side. And uh, I, uh, our, our claim to fame was we, uh, me and the people in my, my school year at Pierrefonds Comprehensive High School, we all went to school with Evelyn. So, Oh, really, yeah, eh? Yeah, so we're familiar with Mrs. I love the story. They're lovely people. The Standing By podcast is supported in part by my friends, at Matla Bonheur. Do you know the story of Matla Bonheur, Ted? Well, uh, Matla Bonheur, does that not mean happy meal? Uh, no, sir, it does not. It okay. has to do with um, <laughs> a good night's sleep is what it has to do with. And I like the theme. We we love family-run businesses, and that's what Matla Bonheur is. There are a lot of places you can buy a mattress but the thing that I have always loved about Matla Bonheur was they started delivering mattresses in the back of a, pick, a pickup truck years and years and years ago. They started out of a small store that's still there, by the way, on Gwen Boulevard in St. Genevieve, just around the corner from La Roulette. Ted, if you would like to stop by for a hot dog. Sure. Uh, it is the uh, very first store of a chain that is now uh, owned locally by a local family with 17 locations all across the greater Montreal area. And the thing about Matla Bonheur is you get greeted with a smile. You get greeted with warmth and manners when you walk into a store that's designed around the amazing mattresses they have. And they have one thing in mind only, and that's to get you a better night's sleep and to make sure that uh, they find you a great mattress within your budget. How's that sound, Ted? Sounds pretty good to me. Will they come for a sleepover? I don't know if they'll come for a sleepover, but you wouldn't notice because you'd be so comfortable and asleep on your brand new mattress. If you're looking for a mattress, I know there's lots of places to go. 
But what you want to do is don't do anything until you visit a Matlau Bonheur store near you. Of what you do is find the closest location to you by going online, matlaubonheur.ca. I love the story that you tell about uh, the year the Canadians lost eight games. Yeah. And, and living in Montreal and being a Canadians fan. Yeah. And, and after the, the morning after a loss, everyone got on the school bus with this stunned look on yeah. their face. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> They lost. They lost. <laughs> we just ex- well, in typical Montreal fashion, we expected them to win yeah. every game. Yeah, and one year they nearly did. They did. Yeah, they <laughs> almost did. Yeah, I can remember during that era as a kid back in Fredericton watching them on TV, and they'd be down by a goal in the third period. Yeah. And you just knew that they were going to tie the yep, game. Absolutely. And then they were going to win the game. Yep. And the most classic example of that is the uh, too many men on the ice game yep. in the playoffs against yep. the Bruins. They're down by a goal. Yep. Guy Lafleur scores that, that famous goal. That great Danny, Val- Danny oh, Gallagher yeah, call. Yeah, the yeah. rather gingerly. Yep. Yeah, and then uh, I think it was Yvonne Lambert scored in overtime, and they won the game. That that was so typical of the Montreal Canadiens of that era. Don Cherry never got over it. No. <laughs> While we're talking sports, we're, we're we've gone down a, a sports uh, rabbit hole. So seems I'm like yeah, yeah. But that, I'm I'm good with that because yeah. they, again, you know, our jobs afforded us these opportunities that a lot of people, you know, looked at us and said, "Oh my God," you know, like people have said to me, yeah, like. That's not true. Larry Robinson gave you a tour of the Montreal Canadiens dressing room, and that's true. A lot of people could never, you know, you could never dream that, uh, you know, especially the old dressing room, the yeah. the one that had all the ghosts in it and all yeah. the, you know, where Morris Richard sat and changed his skates. You know, that, that means a lot to me. Yeah. There's another story, and I actually had an opportunity. I related this on Twitter the other day because did you see the clip yes. that was on social media? Of Peter Zosky yeah. interviewing yes. Maurice Richard. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. I get choked up. Yeah, thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, the humility. Oh. and the it, it's it's classic. It's just you know it's like we were talking about earlier about Monsieur Bellevue. It's classic uh, guys of that caliber. Well, the, and the end of that generation yes. yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was when you and I went to Chicago to shoot TV commercials yes. the first time around in 1993. And I think it was when we flew back to Montreal and the plane landed. And of course, everybody gets up and stands. I in forgot the about this. And they, and they wait to get off the plane. So I stand up and I'm standing there and, and I turn around and right behind me is Maurice, the rocket Jesus Richard. And I'm, Holy shit. And, and yeah. I just... My default reaction was to stick my hand out. Yes. Mr. Richard, my name's Ted Bird. It's a honor to meet you. He blushed. Yeah. He shook my hand and, and blushed. blushed. Yeah. You're uh, you're not you're now making me uh Oi. <laughs> we're, we the, these old uh, these old athletes um they they will they'll put a lump in your throat. Yeah. 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 Well, do you remember we went down when he was it him or Jean Beliveau, who we went we went down to the Bell Center. They were lying in state. Uh, we did both. We did, eh? Yeah, we yeah. did. I went. Uh, I I went to um, to see. Uh, you know, I, I attended both of them, and um, the story that I don't like to tell, but I'll tell anyway. I got to the uh, Bell Center um, when uh, Mr. Beliveau was lying in state, and. Uh, his wife and two daughters were there all 
day. I, if I recall, I think for two days. And when I got to the Bell Center, one of the, the, one of the ushers recognized me and said, come with me. And I said, thank you, but no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. He wanted to take me out of line and squire me, you know, so that I wouldn't have to wait. And I just thought that would have been so disrespectful yep. to the kind of... Well, it would have gone against everything, everything that he, he stood yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, everything he stood for. Um, let's get on. Can you tell the... Uh, can, you don't want to cry some more? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what Bes- is that? Poor Poseidon's what? over there going, Jesus Christ, they're going to cry. <laughs> Where did they find these guys? <laughs> Stupid old fans. That's, <laughs> that's what happens when you get older, Poseidon. You get very weepy. <laughs> you get very emotional. Yeah. <laughs> You'll see. <laughs> Oh, I want you to tell the. I want to get off of that and mm. and uh, can you just tell you you do a, such a beautiful uh. job of telling the story of the splendid splinter at practice. Oh God! Well, that's out of that's out of a book. My favorite book of all time. Never mind my favorite sports book. My favorite book of all time. Ball Four by Jim Bouton. Jim Bouton was a Major League Baseball pitcher, and at the end of his career. He uh, went to the Seattle Mariners in the expansion draft, and he kept a diary of his one season with the Mariners. And he told a story that had been related to him by, what was the catcher's name? Or the guy's name, Jim Pagliaroni or something like that, who, who had played with Ted Williams towards the end of Ted Williams' career and told a story about Ted Williams, who was probably the, the best hitter in the history of baseball, and was also a war hero. I don't know if many people know that yeah. about Ted Williams. He flew combat missions in the Korean War. And I guess a big part of the reason he was such a great combat pilot was and, and a great baseball hitter was because his eyesight was so good. And great pilots and great hitters both have great eyesight. So anyway, Ted Williams, this guy told the story about Ted Williams would, would come out to batting practice before anyone else was in the ballpark, just him and the pitcher the batting practice pitcher, and he would scream at the top of his lungs while he'd hit these line drives out over the right field wall. (laughs) And the way he told the story was he would go, I'm Ted fucking Williams, and I'm the greatest fucking hitter who ever lived. Crack! There goes one over the wall. Jesus H. Christ himself couldn't get me out. Whack! Here comes Jim Bunning. Jim fucking Bunning with that little shit slider of his. Does he think he's going to get me out with that shit? Whack! I'm Ted fucking Williams. Crack! I guess you need that kind of confidence to be Ted Williams. I guess so, yeah. And that's one of many great stories great stories in that book book. i've read that book about half a dozen times and you know what i'm due to read it again and just it's just so good and it was it was a scandal at the time yeah when that book came out players uh, baseball players hated that yeah because he told the behind the scenes stories you know about what you know life on the team and on the road was really like and they were i remember on the back of the copy that my father had they would have quotes from people and like Bowie Kuhn who was the commissioner at the time his quote was uh, Jim Bouton has done a great disservice to the game of baseball <laughs> Mickey Mantle and, and Bouton told some great stories about Mickey Mantle Mickey Mantle's quote was Jim who <laughs> <laughs> that's 
Uh, did, was there anybody that listen to me squeaking? You're, was, you are squeaking. Was there anybody that? Uh, I mean, other than uh, Rocket, was there anybody that that uh, flipped you out? That you know threw you off because they were just. You couldn't believe you were me. Well, one night, uh, again, back when I was working in Toronto, I was covering a Leafs game. And uh, in, in the press box at Maple Leaf Gardens, you would have assigned seats. Mm-hmm. So uh, after the first or second period, whatever, I was down in the, uh, in the press room for intermission, and I came back up, and there was someone in my seat, and it was Bobby Orr. Jesus <laughs> And this was after he had retired, and I guess he was just there as, I don't know what capacity he was there in, but Bobby Orr was sitting in my chair. And I kind of stood there, and I looked at him, and he turned around, and he looked at me, and he goes, am I in your chair? And I said, it's your chair now. You're Bobby Orr. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember the morning he called us? I sure do. I'll I'll never forget that. I will never forget that. Ted and I, when we were working at the mix, uh, we had a contest. It was called Who Do You Know? Who Do You Know? And the, the way the contest worked was you got somebody famous to phone us. And at the end, I think of two weeks or whatever it was, a month, uh, we would choose you know the most famous person to phone us. One, I think, money or yeah, something. Yeah, whoever right? got that right. person so, to phone would you know, win the prize. Right. So, you know, we spoke to, uh, who's the uh, who's the monkey lady there? Uh, it's not monkey lady. Jane Goodall? Yes. Did she call? Yes. Really? Yes, Jane Goodall oh, called. Wow. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call her the monkey lady, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean. I knew exactly who you meant. Exactly. <laughs> this is how long we've been together. Um, uh, Jane Goodall called. Um, it was... I, I can't, there were so many of them, I can't remember. I only but remember that Bobby morning. Bobby Orr, yeah. and I remember we were sitting, you know, we were, Ted and I sat on one side of the glass, and our great and wonderful producer, Tommy Butto, was on the other side of the glass. Tom Butto uh, was a producer at uh, FM 96 and Mix 96 and Virgin for many, many, many years, yeah. and he was so good at what he, very, 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 an excellent producer, who got along with everybody, and it didn't matter what morning show they threw at him. Yep. He got along. I, I, I loved Tommy. And that morning, he, you know, your producer could talk in your ear. He could push a button and, and quietly say to you off the air, um, you sound stupid, <laughs> or don't say that, yeah. you know, or did you fart? You suck. Yeah, exactly. And, and try and throw you off your game. And this one morning, he said, Bobby Orr's on the phone. And I it stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. I, I was like, what? Because there's a... Uh, what is it the word I'm looking for? There's, you know, there's a, there's an aura about him. Yeah. You know this because yeah. you stood behind him. When you stand in front of Bobby Orr, there's an aura about him. Yeah. And another guy who, like Beliveau, yes, just the nicest, oh. the nicest person. Yeah. And, just, and humble. Yeah, you know, and doesn't carry himself uh, like he's anything special. Well, when in fact he's everything Thing special. Special, yeah. yeah. He didn't. Uh, he obviously didn't throw you off your game, though. You you you, you had a quick comeback. Yeah, for, for uh, I guess. Yeah. Was, so you uh, you really haven't been thrown by anybody. Well, I mean, you know, th- not thrown necessarily, yeah. but I but uh, I was certainly taken aback. Yeah. The most famous person I've ever met is Prince Charles. Oh yeah, do tell. I was at uh, the the Black Watch Armory, 
Uh, I've had a long-standing relationship with uh, the Blackwatch Regiment, the yes. Royal Canadian, uh, the Royal Highland Regiment, Blackwatch of Canada, and Prince Charles is their honorary colonel. And so when he came and visited about, I don't know, 10 years ago maybe, I got an invitation. And so I got to meet him and uh, his wife, Camilla Parker Bowles. They're the, they are the Duke and Duchess of... Arfland. <laughs> <laughs> Windsor, I believe. I think so. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so what they do at these receptions uh, is they, they, they make little pods of, of six or eight people. And Charles and Camilla started at one end of the room, and they, each one went in opposite directions and worked their way around. Oh, is that the way they do and it? They, and they, oh. stop in each, they stop at each pod, and they address each person. And it was fascinating wow. to see how he had obviously been trained in how to deal with the peons. Mm-hmm. And what he is trained to do is he, uh, he asks you something about yourself, and then he takes information from whatever you've told him, and he throws that back at you, and it makes you feel as if, like, hey, he's interested in me. Okay. He knows something about me. Because when he got to me, he said... Uh, and are you a former member of the regiment? And I said, uh, no, I'm a, I'm a friend of the regiment. I'm a, a broadcaster. And he turns to uh, my wife at the time, Danielle, and he goes, so is he ever home? Is he always, is he always off broadcasting somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> and he wow. was, uh, yeah, they were, they were both very friendly and charming. Yeah. And, they, and they, you know, I know that they're trained. Yeah. Uh, but they look you in the eye and they listen to what you say, yeah. and then they say something back to you that demonstrates to you that they actually did listen and have an interest in what you had to say. Ted, I don't think it's going to surprise too many people that when we told the Mersons we were going to do a podcast, they said we would like to support said podcast. We have been associated with the Mersons for uh, 30 years now and uh, with good reason. They do what they do well, and they do it with honesty, and that's why uh, we got on board with them. And we're glad that they're on board with us for the podcast. Just in time, uh, assuming that you're listening to this before September 25th, 2021, just in time for the fourth annual tire blowout sale. Now, in years gone by, this has also included a barbecue. I spoke with Kara Merson. She said that's COVID dependent, but I will say this. I'm going to show up at the tire sale with uh, hot dogs, cold hot dogs, <laughs> loose in my pocket. And uh, if they don't have a barbecue, you can have one of my cold hot dogs. Mm. They might have some lint on them. I don't know. But uh, you're more than welcome to them. Uh, hot dogs or no, you'll save big on tires. Up to $70 in rebates on Yokohama tires. They partner with Merson for this tire sale. You also get free installation and balancing if you buy your tires that day at the tire sale. And if you're one of the first 50 people there who buys something, you'll get a $50 gift card to spend at Merson throughout the year. You can call them at 487-5545 or visit mersonauto.com. You know, you and I in the first podcast talked about being raised similarly. Similarly, <laughs> he's hammered, Poseidon. <laughs> Brought the flask. <laughs> um, did, did you get his keys? <laughs> did you? Um, you you feel the same way that I do? That's still important to me. When when somebody looks you in the eye, when you meet somebody and you look them in the eye, and you you extend your hand for a handshake you know that that 
not only if you're part of the royal family, I think that's it's. Well, I it's, think that that's that will always be important. Always I think that's important. it's yeah. you know it's common courtesy, yeah. it's human decency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the morning Danny Gallivan was with us? I remember meeting Danny Gallivan on Do a couple you? of occasions. Oh, I, yeah. I never met Danny Gallivan. I, that that I think I would Oh, have. well, there's another good story. I, I the very first game I ever covered at the Montreal Forum in 1985, I went with Rick Moffat. Rick and I both worked in the sports department right. at FM 96 at the time. And we uh, were in the press room before the game, having uh, one of the famous uh, press room hamburgers. Well, they had hamburgers, oh, too, in the did. press room. Yeah, wow. And... Uh, in walks Danny Gallivan, mm-hmm. and he marches right over to our table, and he sits down, and he goes, well, who are these two young men? Oh I've never met God. you before. Come on. And Moffat and I are looking at each other like, is this really happening? <laughs> and then he he just starts regaling us with hockey oh stories. The most one-sided fight I ever saw, Milt Schmidt and Dickie Moore, the Boston Garden, 1959. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good, Ted. Oh, That's, God. And his, his uh, you're giving me goosebumps yeah. because... If he sat beside me I, I and did that, I mean, people say to us, because we've been doing it for so long, I recognize your voice, or it's weird to hear your voice, to hear that voice live oh, at a Jesus. table. Can you imagine? Jesus Lord. And that year, he was named Irishman of the Year Wow! Uh, for the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Holy so he came shit. into the... He came into the studio at uh, FM ninety six oh, where man. I was working, and I got to sat down, got to sit down and interview him one on one for about twenty minutes. You know what I what I, I lament is that we didn't take a lot of pictures back in the day. Yeah. You well, know, we didn't have phones. We didn't have so, phones. Yeah, we, and we didn't carry our cameras around with no. us. Dick Irvin, Danny Gallivan's longtime broadcast yeah. partner, uh, who lives in retirement in Point Claire. Yes, I bumped into him at the IGA. Yeah, uh, probably a year, a year to two years ago. Yeah, and uh, and another guy, just yeah. salt of the earth. Yeah, just a wonderful and man. And he stood there and talked to me for like fifteen yeah. minutes. Yeah. yeah, I um, I, one of my my fa- I've had a number of encounters with Dick Irvin, and he's just such a lovely man and a very very proud broadcaster who was very, very, very good at what he did and could do almost anything on radio and television. Um, I was at a hockey game with Sugar Sammy one night. And um, Sugar Sammy, uh, as you know, on both sides of the uh, the language divide in Montreal, is a big star uh, both sides. And outside of Montreal, he's a, a yeah, big, increasingly now, yeah, big star now worldwide. Big, yeah, yeah. Now big star worldwide. I can't walk down the street in Paris, for example. Anyway, we, we had been watching the game, and as we were leaving the game and we were making our way through the, uh, you know, through the Bell Center after leaving our seats, I said to Sammy, now, you know, step gingerly and quickly because, you, you know, you're going to get stopped. You know, we'll never get out of here. Um, and, uh, he, we were walking and we heard Dick Irvin say, Terry and Sugar Sammy. And I turned around. Don't you mean Terry and Sugar Sammy? There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And, uh, we turned around, we had a conversation, a conversation with, um, Dick and his grandson. And when we walked away, Sugar Sammy was shaking. He said, I can't believe Dick Irvin recognized yeah, him. Yeah, he was that, like, eh? so, so, so. Well, that's similar. Yeah, similar to the Larry Robinson telling me yes. that he listened to me on, on yeah. the radio. Yeah. You know what? I just thought of something uh, like those. We talk about those old legendary 
guys and the and the the old media guys and the old play-by-play guys and how classy they were the montreal canadians today have one of the nicest classiest guys in the business as their radio voice in dan robertson yes absolutely i don't know if you've met dan i've i've had many many exchanges with dan because he wasn't in the building very often before i was retired um uh, so we we had a lot of exchanges uh, via email and on Twitter. Dan was a fan of mine, and I I'm a mutual admirer. He is not only so good at what he does, he brings a warmth to that microphone that is missing, especially today. Yep. In a lot of, and this is just my personal opinion, in a lot of the yelling and screaming that we hear now on play by play calls, you know the. You know the the over the top. You know the kind. Of, I know exactly. Ah, what you're, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Thing, I, I trying just, to be the center of attention. Yeah, feel, yeah you're I not feel, the center yeah, of attention. You're the one who's supposed to be describing right. what's going on. And Dan, you're not the thing that's going on. And that's what Dan brings to the microphone. Yeah. He's so good at it, and you can feel you can feel his maritime kindness when he talks. I was going to say that's something he has in common with Danny Gallivan, both from Nova Scotia. And you can also hear Dan's hard R's, too. Yeah, you can. Although you you won't hear them as much now that the Canadians have lost Thomas (laughs) Tatar. And I can say that because I'm from down east, too, and I've still got the hard R's. Hey, speaking of nice guys, we haven't mentioned uh, Nino and Renato yet from from, uh, Land Rover Jaguar Laval. Segway, boy! You know, this podcast is brought to you by Land Rover Jaguar Laval and Nino and Renato DiCubellis, mm-hmm. whom Terry and I have known for low these many years, run that place. And they run it uh, not unlike a household because yep. everybody is treated like family, whether an employee or a customer. Uh, they all get uh, the family treatment. And that's what makes that dealership stand out. And among I, many. I have to tell you something. Uh, Ted and I talked about doing this for a few months and wondered what kind of reception we were going to get. And the reception that we got uh, from the folks in Laval was spectacular. They have been encouraging and they have been uh, excited about the podcast. And when we had our first meeting, they even bought us lunch at Milano's. Well, I think so. that I think that we can chalk the whole thing up to my charm because let yes. me te- let me tell you the story. Adrian McGrath is the marketing director at yes. Land Rover Jaguar Laval, and uh, before we started the podcast, I was driving down the highway one day, and this beautiful Jaguar drove by, and I thought, you know what? I'll bet you that Jaguar Land Rover Laval might be interested in sponsoring a podcast if Terry and I do one. So I. Dialed the number, and uh, I got Adrian on the phone, and I said, Adrian, I'm out on the highway, and I just saw a beautiful Jaguar, and it made me think of you. Not because it's a Jaguar, but because it's beautiful. Oh! Hey, how about that? And she went, yeah, yeah. Listen, um, Ted and I, uh, this particular weekend that we're recording this, uh, are well, I'm I'm being squired around in the Land Rover Defender, which uh, I don't know how they've managed to do this, but they've managed to make that size of a truck elegant. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And the Defender, historically, that was the one you'd see on Tarzan. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go, going through the jungle like yeah. that was a that was a hardcore, yeah. almost military style vehicle. 
And it can still do that. It can still take you through the jungle if that's what you want to do. But if you're more inclined to the urban jungle, well, it'll uh, squire you around there very nicely as well. It's a beautiful luxury vehicle. It still can. (laughs) Did I say that? (laughs) Listen, it's worth the drive to Laval. And as I like to say, when you're up there, you know what? Just go up there to have a look at the McLarens. Oh, boy. In the uh, showroom. It's spectacular. And I've, I've shown restraint. Because restraint, <laughs> you still have restraint. I still have restraint <laughs> because every time you say Nino, I want to say the Pinto and the Santa Maria. <laughs> so I'm. Just <laughs> Let me see if I can do it. Sorry, Nino. Okay, sorry, Nino. Here, here we go. Yes, Land Rover Jaguar Laval. Nice. Thank you very nicely much. done. We've been training Terry not to say Jaguar. Thank you very much yeah. to the folks there. Jaguar sounds like a website. Yes. You guys on Jaguar yet? <laughs> yeah, I was on for a while, but they blocked me. Um, did you follow the uh, with uh, much glee and excitement the uh, Canadians' run to the Stanley Cup? I thought it was, uh, well, for me, I enjoyed that run to the Stanley Cup final, even though they didn't win. And this just goes to show you how times and expectations in Montreal have changed. That was the most fun I had watching hockey since 1971. Yeah which was Ken Dryden's coming out party, and they unexpectedly knocked off the powerhouse Boston Bruins, who were similar to that Canadians team you were talking about that only lost eight games. Yes. That was the year that Phil Esposito broke every record in the in the books, got 76 goals and 152 points. Nobody was going to beat the Bruins. The Canadians brought Ken Dryden out of nowhere. He backstopped them to the Stanley Cup championship in 1971, and it was just it was exhilarating. And so was this year's run up until the final when they mm-hmm. get blown out by Tampa Bay. I, uh, I must admit it's going to be interesting to watch this year uh, with all the changes and all the injuries. I have such deep admiration for Shea Weber as a hockey player and a leader. It's going yep. to be interesting to see what uh, transpires there. Yep. We better get going. What? We've been going on like your Aunt Edna's ass. <laughs> <laughs> who said that in what movie? I don't. I don't it was well. You oh, were the one who yes, it was, it was Jason Robards. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it goes on like your aunt Edna's ass. It never ends. He was he was talking about being a dad. He was saying how you never get to spike the ball. Oh, good. And by the way, if you're ever looking for a rainy day movie, that's a terrific movie with a terrific. Does it stand cast. the test of time? I think it does yeah. because it's it's timeless because it's about family and how families stick together and jason robards is the patriarch it's one of ron howard's first movies. oh really oh, i didn't ron, know that ron howard directed it and it's absolutely terrific and that's that's where aunt edna's ass comes from yeah um on the next podcast who the christ knows? well seriously we weren't supposed to talk about anything <laughs> no, we talked about on right. this one <laughs> right. see you next time <laughs>